God, for today, thank you for divine inspiration, Lord. And thank you for this brother who is willing to share. And I just pray, Lord, that we would have open ears and open hearts. And, Lord, that our cups would be turned up, so to speak. And I pray for Brother Jeremy this morning that you would uh, loose his tongue, that he would just share <clears throat> his heart to us from you. And, God, that we could live better lives for you, more holy lives, Lord, and that we would just um, take off the shackles that shackle us from time to time. And maybe someone's here that's sitting in chains this morning, and I just pray, Lord, that your spirit would move amongst us, and that you would hold the powers of darkness at bay, Lord, while your spirit is moving amongst us. We commit our ways to you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Good morning. <clears throat> it's nice to be here with you. Um, I will say I don't think I've ever felt unprepared before as today. Um, it was it was a difficult week. Um, my helpmate left. Thankfully, she came back. <laughs> but she went over the hills and over to to Idaho. And so you can imagine a, a father with four boys. <laughs> um, and then, of course, business was very, very busy. Um, lots of demands and things going on throughout the week. And and then yesterday was I had some goals for the day. That's a bad thing to do sometimes. <laughs> you make goals and then you, those goals become idols. And so I had, you know, I had some ideas of what I wanted to get done in the day and, and they weren't going quite like I wanted. And so um, I had some moments of flesh, for sure, and just the way I spoke. And, and um, so by the evening, I didn't feel ready. To preach sermon. When Glenn asked me in the beginning of the week, "Do you want to preach a sermon?" I'm thinking, "This is not, <laughs> this is not the week." <laughs> but somehow, I, I thought maybe by the end of the week I'd feel better. <laughs> but um, so I had so many ideas going through my mind what I could preach on, just thoughts that have been bothering me, and uh, maybe areas the Lord's been working in my life. And I was vacillating between the two, and couldn't even come up with what I wanted to preach last night. Finally, went to bed. Woke up at like four. Still was like, I'm not in the right mood to preach today. <laughs> Normally by four in the morning, I'm ready. But um, I mean, ready to start. I'm excited to prepare a sermon. But this day was like, I'm not ready. About five, Stephanie comes out and I'm just like, I don't want to preach today. And so I had this back pocket. You know, I have an audio sermon I could play. If all doesn't go well. <laughs> and that's what I thought I was probably going to do. Um but thank the Lord for good help me. She came out and encouraged me and um, yeah, just talk things over. And she likes to ask lots of questions and get me going. And so I started getting excited about preaching again. <laughs> so, but what the, I, I decided to preach today on what the Lord has been working on in my life, though I can't say it always has the greatest fruit. But but what he started a couple of weeks ago, I heard a sermon um, a man, I'm going to quote a little bit, the one I was in my back pocket. I thought I'd play that, but now what I thought I'd do is just quote from a sermon some and then I'll give my thoughts about the subject. But, you know, if you were to ask most people, what did Jesus come to die for? What would you say most people would say? Just give me an answer. Somebody. For our sin. For our sin that's right. And that's a biblical reason. Um, in Second First uh, Corinthians chapter 15, it says... That Jesus died for our sins, according to the scripture. But if I gave you this bill and on the front of this bill, we see it's one hundred dollars. But if I turn if I gave you this and you turn it around and it was blank, would you think it was worth much? Nah. no, it's it's only worth it if it's on both sides, right? This bill is only going to be worth anything when you walk in the store and you hand it to them and they flip it around. This is not a hundred dollar bill. It's blank on the back. 
Well, let's read the other side why Jesus died. And that's in 2 Corinthians, the second book that Paul wrote to the Corinthians. <clears throat> we'll look at chapter 5, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And we're going to look in verse 15. Second Corinthians five, verse 15. And that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. So as we said, on the front side, Jesus died for our sins. But on the back side, Jesus died to give life. And those that live should no longer live for themselves, it says, but should live for God. I want to talk today about selfishness. Listen to this verse in another translation. He died for everyone so that those who receive his life will no longer live for themselves. Instead, they will live for Christ who died and was raised for them. A couple weeks ago, I heard the sermon. The title of the sermon was How a Funeral Motivated a Father to Conquer His Greatest Flaw. How a Funeral Motivated a Father to Conquer His Greatest Flaw. He had been asking God to show him what he needed to work on the most in this next coming year. In his quiet times, he would ask God, What is it in my life? He never imagined it would come through a death of a father in the fellowship circles he is in. He had gone to the funeral and at the funeral, he was not expecting to hear what he heard. <clears throat> he was there to show honor as we would all do at a funeral, but he wasn't there to have his life changed profoundly and deeply as God changed him through it. At that time, at that funeral, God revealed to him the greatest flaw he had ever had in his life. Now, this man, he teaches on. Um, in fact, we actually listened to one of his sermons right here in our purity meetings about lust and fornication and sexual sin. And he he taught about how how he teaches a, a course on how he gained moral freedom from that. And you would think after hearing that, that had to be your greatest struggle in life. But he said, no, God showed him how that this flaw grew out of this deeper flaw. Another time he taught on uh, on anger. And you think, isn't that one of your greatest character flaws? But no, he said God showed him how that this character flaw of anger grew out of this deeper one. Another time he taught on finances and his struggle with greed. But once again, this flaw grew out of this deeper flaw. <clears throat> he knew that he had this flaw and he would try to work on it. But God at this funeral showed him God's perspective. <clears throat> this was the day that God had gave him the unexpected motivation. There was a time during the funeral that one of the sons stood up and it wasn't planned. It wasn't prepared. It wasn't even expected, but he stood up and he spoke something and these words were burned into his heart. And, and as I heard the sermon, they they ring true in my heart, too. He said that one of the this boy, he stood up. He said, the one thing we will always remember about our dad was that he was the most unselfish person we have ever known. <clears throat> Dad always made sure we had the best. We were the first. He always took the worst. <clears throat> as I thought about that, I thought as I heard the sermon, I thought, thought the same thing. Would my children say that about me? And I don't think they would. <clears throat> as he was sitting in this funeral, his mind went back to the night before when he had just gone to come to this funeral to a, get a hotel room. And he rented, you know, these two rooms side by side with a pass through door in the middle. And he put his daughter over in one bed and there was only a couch left. So he put his son 
in the couch and he and his wife got the other room in that queen bed. And as they were getting ready for bed, his daughter came in and said she just didn't, didn't know why, but she didn't feel comfortable in that other room. <clears throat> so she said, can I sleep with you guys? I think she was even older. He said, that's impossible. No one is going to sleep comfortably. I won't sleep comfortably. So he went in and prayed with her. And as he got done praying, his son spoke up and said, Dad, the couch I'm sleeping on is just full of springs. I'm not going to sleep comfortably. If you'd let her come sleep in your bed, I could sleep in the bed. He said, no, absolutely not. This was the plan. We paid for the room. It wouldn't be good stewards. So go back to sleep. So the lights were out and his wife made an appeal in the dark. He said, no, this is ridiculous. We have to get some sleep. His wife said, I think this is one of those emotions versus logic moments. And he said, yep, and logic wins. (laughs) So he said, good night, dear. Laid there, didn't sleep well. Thinking about his daughter in a bed she didn't want to be, his son on a couch that he didn't want to be, and his wife, who was strangely quiet. But he himself was nice and comfortable. (laughs) As his mind drifted back to the funeral, he couldn't help but think about that moment just last night. His family would never be able to say that about him when he went home to heaven. So he told the Lord, I want my family to be able to say that about me. And they can't. What an honor that that man was bestowed upon. His, you know, as the proverb says, your children will rise up and call you blessed. What an honor for them to say that about their father. He was the most unselfish person they had ever met. You know, and they knew a lot of people. He was the most unselfish person they had ever met in all of their lives. <clears throat> God said to him in that moment, as he told the Lord this, he said, you've been asking me what you need to work on in your life. And this is what I want you to do. <clears throat> What I want you to work on and your goal is to become the most unselfish person your family has ever seen and known. When he walked away from that funeral, God began one of the most challenging processes in his life. And it was also one of the most rewarding. He began to ask God, what should he do? What, what should he do? And the first scripture the Lord gave him, and I, I want to look at this scripture. Let's turn to Philippians chapter 2. The first scripture the Lord gave him was in Philippians. Verse 1, If there be, therefore, any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies fulfill you my joy, that you be like-minded having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory. Now, this is sometimes, um, this is one of those places that it's hard sometimes. We could pass right over and not understand. But this word here, strife, has the idea, we'll talk about it a little bit more later, but it has the idea of selfishness. And the Lord was saying to him, Jim, I don't want you to have anything in your family that is done through selfishness or empty pride. But in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. He said, I want you and your family, as you work with your children, to esteem them better than yourself, to humble yourself and esteem them better. Look not every man on his own things, but also on the things of your family. Don't just look on your needs and your wants, but look on the things of your family. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ, who being in the form of God. He said, you know, you're in the form of dad. It's not robbery to say you're a dad. You're in the form of dad. But let this mind be in you that was in Christ. 
It's not robbery to be in the equal position of dad with all authority and all privileges. But instead, he says, he made himself of no reputation and took on him the form of a servant. He said, I want you to take on yourself the form of a servant to your family and serve your children and serve your wife. And being found in a fashion of as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. So he said, this is the attitude that was in Christ. That is the attitude I want in you. I want you to be unselfish. And then it goes on and says, wherefore God highly exalted him and give him a name which is above every name. You know, and, and, the, and the Lord's promises are that as we humble ourselves, he exalts. I mean, look at this picture of this dad who stood in this funeral or he's dead now, but his children stood in the funeral and they said, we've never known a man that is more unselfish than dad. <clears throat> so God told him to study through the scriptures and he said, I want you to study through the scriptures and find unselfish um, examples. And he didn't even make it out of the first chapter of Matthew. In fact, let's go look at it. Matthew chapter 1. And it's a little shocking. The first thing he saw in Matthew chapter 1. <clears throat> it was speaking of Joseph. And we know the story of Mary and how she was not married to Joseph. And everybody thought, they assumed wrong. They thought that Mary had committed fornication. That Jesus was the son of was the son of people that were in fornication, and now he gets married to her, and the baby had not been born yet. And then, right verse twenty-five, the last verse of chapter one, it says, "And knew her not till she had brought forth her firstborn son, and called his name Jesus." And so Joseph here took a selfless act. I mean, what young man who gets married would postpone something like that? And consummate the marriage. I mean, he put it off and he said, I'm going to wait. And he did an act of selflessness. <clears throat> and so I want to talk a little bit about selfishness. It's <laughs> you think about it, it's probably the root of many sins. Think about fornication. Uh we think about our purity meetings. We come here and we talk about all the things that we're tempted towards. Pornography, um, lust, fantasies. Where does that stem from? It stems from selfishness. <clears throat> you know, if we really thought about it, I'm lusting after somebody else's wife. Would I want somebody to lust after my wife? No, I wouldn't. But somehow... We overlook this and, you know, this is a deeper character flaw. Gluttony. You know, think about gluttony. It's the desire to eat and to eat well and eat more and not stop. It stems from selfishness. You know, I remember reading in the early church, they would say, we're going to fast today. Not because they wanted to be more spiritual necessarily, but because they thought, hey, we could miss this meal, all three meals, and we could give that to the poor to eat. Think about that as we think about the poor. <clears throat> as we think about others, gluttony can be taken care of. <clears throat> Anger. What does that stem from? Selfishness. Stop and think about when you get angry. What are you angry about? Probably something to do with your rights, right? This person has taken advantage of you. This person has made it inconvenient for you. You had plans. This is what you planned. And you become angry. What is that? Is that centered on God and God's will for your life? No, it's centered on self. So many of the sins that we fall into and the flesh that we follow is stemming 
from selfishness. And you know what the, the scary thing is about selfishness? <clears throat> is that it can be hidden. It can be cloaked. We can all sit here on Sunday morning and we all raced off to meeting. And, you know, we came here and sang as the youth. And then we came here and had our meeting. And, you know, somehow we can just justify that on the way here we were selfish in some way. Maybe. Think of that story of the Good Samaritan. Two of the people in the story were the spiritual ones. The priest and the Levite. They were both ones that worked in the temple, right? And they're walking along and they see this guy that needs help. And they go around the edge. They're probably on their way to church meeting, right? Isn't that amazing to think that you can be on your way to church meeting and being selfish? And yet the unspiritual Samaritan who, you know, he probably didn't have much of a spiritual walk with God, at least not in the Jews' perspective. He was the the one that had pity. He was the one that cared. That's a scary thought when we think about it. Turn to Luke chapter 6, if you would. In this passage, Jesus is talking about a beam and a, and a little moat or a splinter. Luke 6.42. He says, let's just read um, 41. And why beholdest thou the moat that is in thy brother's eye, but perceiveth not the beam... That is in thine own eye. Isn't that an amazing thought? Did you catch that? It said, perceivest not. You have a beam in your eye. And you don't even see it. But yet, somehow, you see the speck in the other guy's eye. That is incredible. Like, that shows you how deceived we can be. We can have a beam in our eye. And even walk into the meeting, and maybe everybody else sees the beam. (laughs) We're banging the doors as we come through, hitting people on the head, right? And we don't even see it. I mean, broad daylight, we don't see it. But I mean, somehow we have the perception to see at night, like the darkest time of night, we can see with laser eye focus the speck that's in our brother's eye. In this, this speck, this idea is the word chaff. Or it comes from chaff. I mean, it's just like a little piece of dust that got into your eye. You know, chaff, like they're doing the wheat and a little piece gets in. And somehow we can see that, but we don't see the beam. He says, why do you not perceive? You can see the beam in your brother's eye, but you don't see the beam in your eye. You can see the speck, sorry. And then he goes on, either how canst thou say to thy brother, brother, let me pull out the speck that's in your eye, when thou thyself beholdest not the beam that's in your own eye. Thou hypocrite, cast out the beam. So, we need to think about this. We need to, um, we need to do some soul searching where we see other people's problem but we don't see our problem. You know, when Isaiah was in the presence of God, he was in the presence of God. What did he, what did he say? Did he say, woe is them? What did he say? He said, woe is me. That's how you know when you're in the presence of God. That's how you know you met with the Lord when you come here on Sunday. Do you go home with a, okay, there it is right there. You know, or do you go home with more selfishness? See, when we're in the presence of God, the Lord brings light and he brings it and shows it to us. But what's scary is that our our selfishness can hide in plain sight. We can be deceived and not realize it's right there. And, you know, I don't know what it is about religion and why it happens, but we see it over and over in the New Testament that religion has a way of cloaking it, right? 
we, we justify, well, I'm on my way to meeting and we sing and we do this and we do that. But, but it has a way of hiding how we're being selfish. And so I remember when I was in Belize and, and some of these things were just coming to me and learning. I got to the place and it was a great place to be. And I, I got to confess that I, I just keep struggling with staying in this place. I think we need to talk about it more. We need to be more accountable with each other. But the place of peace, it says, let the peace of God rule your hearts. I remember, I remember we'd be on our way to go to a meeting and we didn't have peace in the home. And I just say, we're not going until we have peace. Now, I'll tell you, I'm a little more afraid of you all than I was of the Belizeans. So here I'm more quick to be like, get in the car. <laughs> we'll deal with this after meeting, but see what that is. That's just. It's. It's putting the praise of men. It's putting um, what our reputation is before what really matters. Right. And sorry, this is this. I, my 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 uh, college or my uh, schooling is with my children still. You know, when I get older and they all move out, then I'll probably be with somebody else. But right now it's so I'm not picking on any names, but this is and it's me. You know, I have to. I have to grow in this. I have to. It's revealing nastiness in me. And it turns their hearts against me if, if I act in a selfish way. <clears throat> and so I remember I'd be like, you oh, know, we'll just, you know, we might be two hours late. Oh, well, you know, show up to the meeting. They're just starting potluck. Great. Like, but hey, we came in peace and it was a great place to be. It was a great place to be. I loved it. I remember when I came up to visit, I, we were driving down the road in the motor home and I could sense, I could feel this, something. I don't remember what it was, but we made a wrong turn. I could feel that things that, no, I'm not going to let it come in. I'm, we're just, we're going on a, on a peaceful schedule and it was great. It was great staying in peace. Let the peace of God rule your life. And you know what's silly is we can let silly plans take over. Like yesterday, you know, um, we had that nasty windstorm. Sticks fell everywhere. Um, this was a couple weeks back. And, um, you know, Titus, you know, he had told me, my neighbor, he told me, you know, Jeremy, we need to make sure to get these sticks picked up. They get embedded in the road and, you know, and, and I didn't like it either, but... You know, I've been busy with work. My wife left me. and <laughs> So I've been wanting to get out and pick up these sticks. It's true. But I've been busy. It's been hard. And so here comes Friday night. And I, I even texted Timothy. I said, be prepared. Tomorrow we're picking up sticks. You know, I'm, I'm putting the warning signs out. I mean, you guys have seen my house. There are a lot of trees and a lot of sticks fall. And so... I get out there. I'm ready to go. Oh, t- Friday night, Titus calls. And I'm like, you know, Titus, it's, br- it's lunch. It's uh, dinner time. I'm thinking, I, if I take this call, I'm, you know, I, I need to be with my family. So I didn't take the call, but I already felt that pressure. Come on. Pleasing of man, you know, Titus and the sticks. They need to be picked up. <laughs> I know this is silly, but it's true. <laughs> it's silly now, but it wasn't yesterday. Um, so we finally get out there. And, you know, you know how it is with families we'll just put it at that you know everybody has their own plans and and uh, some you know are off in a room here and you're like come out and help and you know what are you doing and get over here and pick up the stick and everybody wants to drive the equipment versus pick up the stick you know what i mean that kind of thing and so i was feeling my levels going like this and like this and like this over sticks you know it's silly but anyway and and so i spoke I didn't yell, but I spoke direct and harsh and I made assumptions like I my one of my boys come out and I get on the mower and I'm over here with this mower already. And I'm thinking, why are you getting the mower? We're working here. Come pick up sticks. And he thought I didn't have the mower. So in his he was doing good intentions, but I assumed bad intentions on him. So I was frustrated. Why? And then I spoke harsh. I apologize. And, you know, it's it's in the end, it's selfishness, you know. And then and then something didn't go the way I wanted. And I started, you know, these thoughts come in. These thought processes come in. You know, why? 
Why did this happen? Why did this person do this to me? And then I harbored it for a while and gave it some food and sheltered it and gave it a bottle. and You know, just kept going and it kept growing. And then by the time, oh, then some other things. Anyway, long story short is by the time it's time to preach, I'm not ready to preach a sermon. Like, what are you talking about? Um, fine, you're going to have to find another guy. Um, so... Selfishness has a way of just coming in and the back door, if we're not careful, if we're not watching our thoughts, if we're not, if we don't have certain things in place, as the scripture tells us, it can take advantage of us. It can take over us. It can, it can cause us to do things. And we see that. I mean, I think maybe in the area of lust, we, we get this picture pretty clearly. You know, if I sit and meditate on this thought, you know, it's going to create this and I'm going to be pretty soon looking at pornography. So I'm, as soon as the thought comes, we, yeah, but maybe it's a little harder sometimes when it's somebody that took advantage of us. But it's the same thing, right? It's the same thing. If I'm going to selfishly lust after somebody. Well, when I start thinking evil thoughts about somebody, harboring these things, assuming their motives were bad, um, even if they were bad, taking it into self. I mean, maybe the person really did have a motive to hurt you, but you're taking it in against self. Guess what? Instead of I have some verses to talk about here. We end up we end up reacting. We end up acting with anger. We end up reacting with um, frustration. So back to this verse, it says in Philippians, if you could turn back there. Um, chapter, what was it, 2? It said here in verse uh, 3. Hang on a second. I need to go back a page. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory. Verse three, let nothing be done through strife. I want to read this word strife and what it means. It means electioneering. (laughs) You know what we just saw through all the um, politics, you know, all the nasty things that are said, all the things that one up each other. Uh, The idea of like even gambling, you know, his demise is my gain. That's what this idea, strife, it's, it's the idea of one-upping. And we might look at that and uh, it's easy to, if we're, if we're not careful, it's a beam in us and we don't see it, right? So we have to be really honest here. It's a desire to put oneself forward. <clears throat> Before the New Testament is written, Aristotle used it to denote a self-seeking pursuit of political office by unfair means. As it was used in the New Testament, it meant personal gratification and self-fulfillment at any cost. It has no room for others. It is that ultimate self-elevation rampart, rampant in the world today, which is the antithesis of what the humble, selfless giving Loving and obedient child of God is called to be. It usually conveys the idea of building oneself up by tearing someone else down, like in gambling. The word accurately describes someone who strives to advance himself by using flattery, deceit, false accusation, contentiousness, and any other tactic. Now, if you're not careful, you'll, you'll say, oh, I'm not those things, because that's the extreme. But I want you to analyze your life. Is there things in your life? That even may be the start of this. Maybe it's not the full, but do you find yourself feeling that urge when somebody's telling a joke or a riddle or something to want to take over the punchline? <clears throat> do you ever finish people's story for them as they're telling their story? Like, but why are we doing that? 
we're doing that because we want the glory. We want the, we want the, uh, the gratification that comes from that. <clears throat> Do you ever feel the need, somebody tells a story, oh, I did this, this, and this, and you feel the need to tell them a, a little bit better version of it? I did this, and you're like, well, I want to tell you my story of that because it's better. It's higher. It's better. And what does it do in the end? It's bringing back to self. <clears throat> That's this idea. This is strife. This is, it's inside of you without even realizing that you're trying to one-up the person. I have a guy, I won't say any names, but I have a guy I work with sometimes and it is the most annoying thing. I will say a sentence and he, as I'm going through, he will complete by the way, it's nobody in this room because I work with some of these people in this room, but he will complete the sentence and I'll, okay, and then I'll go on to the next sentence and say something and he will jump and say this, the word for me. And I'll, ah, can you just let me say it? Of course, that's selfishness, but um, <laughs> for me to even think that, but still it's that concept, that concept of that. I need to one up you. I need to finish your sentence. I need to finish your story. Uh, Maybe somebody tells me, maybe a mom, they're like, I didn't get much sleep last night. Oh, well, I didn't get much, you know. And you go into a higher version of your story of how much sleep you didn't get. Um, someone suffers, you want to tell them how much you suffered more. Maybe you're even correcting people as, as they're speaking. You're correcting them in front of everybody. These are all things that, uh, if we're not careful... They're designed without us seeing it. This beam that we don't even see is designed to bring the light back on you. It's selfishness. So let nothing be done through strife, it says. Or selfishness, some translations translate this word. And vainglory. Vainglory is empty glory. The Greek word is actually made up of two words. Empty, vain, glory, praise. Now Jesus says, and I think Paul wrote it, he said, let no no flesh will glory in his presence. When we're in God's presence, no flesh is going to glory. So when you're trying to bring glory upon yourself in any way, first of all, you're not in God's presence. Second of all, it's vain. Let nothing be done through selfishness or vain glory. I like how the New Living translates this. It says, and don't try to impress others. That kind of puts it right down to the shoe leather. How much of us are about what our words we say, the things we do is trying to impress others. Do you feel the need um, to give your opinion? You know, I'm not saying giving your opinion is wrong. I fall in this myself too, but sometimes I can see my motive is for vainglory. Do you find yourself making a statement then looking around to see what the reaction was? These are indications that we are, our, our, our selfish heart is at work. God knows our motivations. That's what it matters in the end. It says in the end, he will reveal the, the motivations of our heart. And even up to this point, we're not even supposed to judge. I don't really know what's in each of your heart, why you're doing what you're doing. But God knows. He knows what motivates us. He knows what, what we're trying to do. And if you're like me, we go back and forth, right? Sometimes we have really... Good motivations, and then other times, ugh, that's that disgusting flesh. But God promises that He will bring light to the hidden things of darkness, and He will make manifest the counsels of our heart. Let's um, turn to Second Timothy now. <clears throat> Chapter uh, 3. It says here that in the last days, there will be perilous times. There will be wicked times. There will be dangerous times. Uh, And I would also say that dangerous in the spiritual way. For men shall be lovers of their own selves. We don't even need to go on. That's the root of it right there. Notice it's at the very beginning. Lovers of themselves. And if we're not careful, we're being pulled into it. We are surrounded by the last day society of lovers of self. I mean, just think about social media, Facebook, Twitter, um, all of those, Instagram. 
what is it about in the end? I've said this before. Like, I baked a pink Twinkie cookie. You know, we put it up. And everybody see my, you know, what is it about, though, in the end? So much of it is about self. We are surrounded. I mean, I told my wife this morning, we maybe need to take a fast from Amazon. Like, Amazon is, think about the society of Amazon. Get it in two days. And, and, you know, think about, like, yeah, anyway, I won't go on my Amazon. I mean, it's scary. Uh, America, a society of lovers of self, we're surrounded by it. it, it uh, it's going to infiltrate if we're not very careful. Jude 1.6. Well, this isn't the verse. Oh, 16, sorry. 116. He's talking about when the Lord comes back. Enoch prophesied the Lord's going to come back with 10,000 of his saints. And what is he going to do? He's going to execute judgment on these people. Notice this. They're murmurers, complainers, walking after their own. You know, you can just put desires right there. Lusts. Their mouth speaks great swelling words. And what? They have men's person in admiration because of advantage. They're, they're moved by, by impressing others. You know, and not to pick on Brother Roger, but, you know, what good is it if Brother Roger calls me? Sorry, Brother. Now you get it this time. <laughs> what good is it if he calls me on the cell phone and it's, you know, my children are in chaos and they're fighting with each other and I'm frustrated at them and Brother Roger Hertzler's calling. Children, be quiet! You know, pull the hello, Brother Roger. Yes, yes, let's talk about some spiritual things. You know, I should just ignore the call. Right? I should deal with what... Is, and deal this right. These are things that are not... Um, that right there, what I was wanting... If I did that, that was wanting Roger's his, his, uh, approval. Having men's persons, it says here. How does it say it now? I can't remember exactly. Jude 1.16. Having men's persons in admiration because of advantage. <clears throat> Listen to this. I'll read it in another translation. There will be grumblers, complainers, walking after their own lusts. They boast about themselves, showing favoritism to gain advantage. I shouldn't even do this in, in my job. When Wyatt Pegg calls me, if, and I, I don't like missing Wyatt Pegg's calls, but if I am not at peace and I have to just somehow say something harsh to get peace so I can make the call, I should just not take the call, Right? Like we need to be careful about what matters to God. What matters to God is selflessness. What matters to God is walking in peace. Let the peace of God rule your hearts. But if we're not careful, we can get caught up into this world of impressing others, impressing, um, coming up with our own deadlines. <clears throat> okay. So let's talk a little bit about what we can do. I think the first thing we can do when a selfish thought comes, is identify it. We have to see the beam. We have to ask God for eye self. We have to ask God for light to see the beam in our eyes. So I'd encourage all of us, ask God, where's there a beam in my eye of selfishness? Like he said, Lord, what do you want me to work on this year? And the Lord brought him to this funeral and he was listening with his heart. He wasn't just doing his time. He was listening with his heart. Please listen with your heart when you come here. And he said, and the Lord said, through this young man, our dad was the most selfless man. And it ventured him into a one-year thing. You know, when he first started this, he never mentioned it to his family. He went, it was a great story how he would go and um, he had these grapefruits. And he, his wife bought these grapefruits from this organic co-op. And they were like these little shriveled, nasty little things. And so he had his special grapefruits, right? So he would go to the store and get his special grapefruits and, you know, his own. Can you, I, I was just laughing as I heard the story. And he had his, his special grapefruits over there. And, and there's the old organic grapefruits. And breakfast time came and he came out and he saw his wife was making breakfast. And he's like, grapefruits, I love grapefruits. And 
So he cut open the grapefruit and, or she cut open the grapefruit and put him out at the table and he's all excited and he walked by and he noticed that at his place was the old co-op grapefruit and at his son's place was the new juicy, ripe, good grapefruit. And he walked by and he looked at that a little bit. Now this is after he, he heard this, he went to this funeral and he had told the Lord, I want to work on this. And the Lord was giving him all these occasions to ways to, okay, here's a moment right now, right now. And so he's sitting there and he's like, honey, don't you think it wouldn't matter if, uh, you know, we just swap the grapefruit? And the Lord said, Jim, that would be selfish. And he's like, huh? And then his wife's like, oh, I don't think they'd mind. And he's like, you know, I don't think, you know, these young guys, they don't care about stuff like that. You know, it's just, you know how your, self, your, your flesh will do this. If you're honest, your flesh will give you so many excuses to be selfish. I can give you a couple of mine. But so so he he's getting ready and he reaches out to swap the grapefruit. And the Lord's like, Jim, I wouldn't do this. I forget what he said, but like, you can do this, but you are not going to be, you're not going to have peace through this. And so, yeah, okay, Lord. So he went to, he went to a spot with his old organic little piece of grapefruit. But he said that grapefruit was so sweet. It was so delicious. It was so good. I don't know what changed, but the Lord helped him in that. So, and after I heard the sermon, there were several times that the Lord's been working with me since a week ago that I've been, Jeremy, this is a time you could be selfless. And, uh, and uh, you know, it's like I said, you can always have some great excuses. I, uh, you know, I've had cancer and so I got off sugar. I said, I'm not going to have sugar. And, um, and so every once in a while, it used to not be so often, but every once in a while, some really nice treat will come along, like sugar-free ice cream maybe or sugar-free cookie somebody made. And I'm really excited now, you know, because I haven't had sugar. I don't eat sugar. But hey, this is a special little thing. <laughs> and so I, I kind of get, I'm kind of like him in the grapefruit, you know. I go in and I see my little sugar-free ice cream sitting there. Oh, that was such a nice thing my wife got me. What a sweet thing. And my children come along and they open the freezer and they're like, there's no regular ice cream. Hey, we can have sugar-free ice cream. And I'm like, ah, that's sugar-free. And uh, we can talk later about this, okay, about the benefits of sugar-free or not. But the concept here, just get the concept. And I'm thinking, you guys can have sugar all day long whenever you feel like it, you know. This is, this is special. And don't touch it. And... And then they say, hey, we're, we're not biased. We can have sugar or sugar free. It doesn't matter. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, this is this is a moment of selfishness. Right. It's true. I've told you my squash story in Belize where I needed to get squash and and I needed. I'm talking about uh, zucchini because it was healthy. Right. I was eating only vegetables and I wanted to be to the market by this time because the squash gets sold out. And uh, I'm trying to get my family in the van. And we've got to get to the squash market. And, and I'm mad. And I'm frustrated. And, and then the Lord reveals to me, this is all over squash. Like, I mean, it's true. I mean, we get, we get selfish about needful things sometimes, like zucchini. I know you, okay, Glenn, you don't like zucchini. But just think in your life, what is it that you, this is your special thing, your chair maybe. I found <laughs> Get out of the chair, right? Okay, so that's your thing. <laughs> okay, so what can we do in our life to see these things? Because if you, I gave you guys the illustration last time about cattails and how I learned my lesson this last year. Like, I didn't take advantage, I didn't go out and kill the first couple of cattails that came up. I thought they, man, you know, what is a cattail? And it took over the entire pond. And I was out through the whole summer, like dredging through, splaying glyphosate all over the place. I mean, it was crazy. I was cutting every cattail and dabbing glyphosate onto the, um, I'm not saying that word right, right? How do you say it? Glyphosate. I am saying it right? Hmm. Wow. Okay. Anyway, I cut it off and dabbed the glyphosate right on there. And um, it was just kill cattails all summer and I just kept thinking I wish I would have taken this out when it was this big you know so now I am on the lookout any cattails that come up 
is going to be death for them. And so it's the same thing with our thoughts. The first step is we need to identify it. We need to humble ourselves. We need to engage and, and say, what in my life? Where am I selfish? And if we're not careful, if we're not honest, it's going to pass us right by and we won't see the beam. Jesus said, why behold us the moat and you don't even see the beam in your own eye? So you need to ask the Lord to give you light. You need to see the beam of selfishness in your life. I see mine over zucchini and sticks and lots more things. Okay, so then we need to, the scriptures say, the second step is to engage our faith. So I'm, I'm just going to write step one. Um, we'll just put identify. And then I'm going to put the next one as engage our faith or um, act, you might say. But acting through faith, God's only going to work with you if you do it through faith. So what I've been doing lately, and, and it helps, and, I, and I'd love to hear your thoughts, but I go through verses that help me on these things. For example, the Bible says, in everything give thanks. So when I look over and I see somebody disobeying, and that thought comes in like, how dare they? Right? That... Right there is a cattail. Now, you guys need to translate this into your minds, right? Because you have your own battles. You don't have a child disobeying you. But that's me right now. Okay, so I have to engage faith at that moment. I see it now. The Lord says, you see that thought? Yes, Lord, I see the thought. I need to engage faith. And everything gave thanks. Is this a thankful thought? No, it's not. Okay, it says, let the peace of God rule your hearts. Am I losing my peace? Yes, I am. It says, do all things without complaining. The, the King James is murmuring, but it's complaining. Do all things without... Is this complaining? Yes, Lord, it's complaining. Um, it says, rejoice. Are you rejoicing? No, I'm not rejoicing. Okay. It says, I already said the peace of God. Okay, so we must realize this. This is an enemy. This is a cattail. This is a very bad thing. So... We must take it captive. The Bible says take your thought captive to the obedience of Christ. How do you take your thoughts captive? Somebody, I should have asked earlier to be thinking about this. I know this is on the spot, but anybody, how do you take your thoughts captive? Give me a, a short two-sentence testimony. How do you do it? Okay, you realize it's bad. You realize it's from the devil. You realize this is going to take you to bad places. How do you take that captive? What's your? How does the Lord taught you? Quote a verse. Quote a verse. Okay, good. Pray. Pray. Okay, good. Anybody else? Sing. Sing. Okay. Good. Those are good ways. Jesus did that. He quoted a verse. Said it's written. Hmm? Confess. Confess. Okay, that's good. Humble. Humbling ourselves. God, I see this. Anybody else? Okay, so we see this, we, we confess it, we can pray, we can, we can sing. That's what I have a hard time doing. I get frustrated, and then I, a lot of times, maybe even like, okay, I'm not going to think about that anymore. But I didn't do anything with it, like anything constructive. Like, I, whoever said pray. So what, my, my wife has been an inspiration to me this. What I've been trying to struggle, trying to do is that when I feel that frustration, I say, Lord, I give that to you. You know, he says, cast, uh, how does it say? Cast all your cares upon him. Lord, I give you this frustration. The, yeah, it's frustrating what's happening right now. But then I say, prayer. And Lord, please make that person who's frustrating me right now into a godly person. I, 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 maybe you guys do great at this, but I haven't been doing great at this. And so that's the third thing I'm trying to do is engage faith and then... So rejoice, give thanks, you know, let the peace of God and pray for the person. Pray for yourself. Give it to God. Ask him to do something with it. It says, um, be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made into God. So in everything. We've got to root out selfishness. Now, I, I know it's probably going to be something we're going to deal with to the day we die. Selfishness is kind of like an onion. Many, many layers. 
And the Lord just keeps revealing it and revealing it and revealing it. And hopefully the beans getting smaller and smaller and smaller. I mean, this is not an excuse to go to the end of our life. And we're still saying, yeah, I really am just like I was when I first got saved. You're just a selfish, you know. Okay, we should be growing in this. We should be, the beans should be becoming smaller. But it's something that is the root of all these sins. Lusting, anger. All these things are from selfishness. <clears throat> okay. You know, I was thinking about Jesus and he. Think about it. The last night of his prayer, of his life. And he's praying with his disciples. And they. He says, would you stay up with me and pray? And they go to sleep. Now I was thinking if I was that guy and I. Son, let's stay up and let's pray tonight together. Let's pray to God that he would deliver our family from these bondages. And he started falling asleep. I, don't, I think I'd be frustrated. <laughs> what kind of Christian are you, right? And Jesus, you know what he said? He said, sleep on. Take your rest. I thought, wow, that came to me this morning as I was coming here. Wow. Jesus was the ultimate picture of selflessness. Do you think Jesus had selfish thoughts? He was in all points tempted like we were. He didn't act on him, but he would have. He says he was put in every way that he could understand our things. So that means Jesus had to have a thought come to him that would say, look how they just took advantage of you. Now, what did he do? He did this, right? He took it captive. He gave it to his father. He prayed for them. But Jesus had the same temptations as us. He had the same thoughts of selfishness as us. He taught us to pray not once in the Lord's Prayer does it say I or me or my. Isn't that interesting? It's our Father. Hallowed be thy name. Not my name. Thy name. And then he goes on and he says give us this day. Give me food, Lord, to give my brother food. Forgive our sins. Forgive me my sins. Forgive my brother's sins. You see how he even taught us in his prayer to be selfless. <clears throat> Thank you for your attention. And I just pray that um, the Lord will grow us in this area, that um, we will learn to, through this next year, to root out this, this um, unchristlike behavior and that we won't try to one-up each other that we will try to let each esteem other better than himself. Because that's what Christ did. God bless you. Thank you, Brother Jeremy. Um, I think the key, one of the key things that you talked about is this verse in Second uh, Philippians, in Philippians 2. Let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus. So if we have the mind of Christ, and our goal is to continue to be, have the mind of Christ, we will eventually be conquer these, um, the heart of selfishness. And uh, I think it's uh, this sermon that you listened to. I also heard the same one as you were talking. I'm like, this sounds so familiar. And... Uh, I remember, um, and also I think Otto Koenig talks about his punchline was at a little different place, but he talked about the chair. And, uh, you know, when I come home and my daughter's curled up in my nice big chair and with a book in her hand, I'm like, you know what? I've worked hard all day, out there beating the bushes, and here, my chair. But, you know, you know finally, we have to give up our rights. You know, it's, and you know, once the, like Otto Koning shared, you know, once the fun wore off, it don't matter anymore. So, we just, uh, we're very human. And uh, we got lots of homework to do also. Okay. Open it up for someone to share. Anyone? Thank you, Brother Jeremy, for sharing your heart. You know, Sharing from the heart speaks to the heart. Okay? So it's okay. I'm glad you struggled.
coming to church this morning and sharing with us. I'm just it just blessed my heart because I know what it's like. Okay. If that's of any value to you. Because <laughs> I think we can all identify um, with you. Thank you for your honesty. Anyone? So I went down to Mexico. You, you, you were asking for suggestions. You know, what, what do you do? Went down on a mission trip on, to Mexico and it was hot, sticky, and there, I've never seen so many cockroaches in my life. And, um, none of the houses that we helped had floors. They were all dirt floors in all the houses and chicken wire and stucco. And it was just really bad neighborhoods. And, um, and it, we were in a worldly church. None of the young ladies were allowed to wear pants. They all had to wear dresses to be able to minister to this uh, same denomination. But, you know, it's in Mexico, so higher standards, I guess. Uh, <laughs> all the men had to wear long sleeve shirts. It was, it was hot, miserable, not what we were used to. And when any of us were complaining about anything, uh, I didn't even mention the water, uh, but if any of us were complaining, the pastor would tell us, drop and give me ten. And, and what he meant was, humble yourself and give me ten things that you're thankful for. And so we, we'd be grumbling, and he'd say that, and I was like, okay, I'm thankful we're here, all our friends, we're thankful for a school bus with rubber tires that bugs can't crawl on, and just, you know, all the things that you, just to remind yourself, we have to have a thankful spirit, we can't be full of ourselves, which is really good, good sermon, really appreciate you. Thank you. Someone else? with the way our society and our political plan is going, we're, we're going to need we're going to have things comforts taken away from us. And uh, it's going to really test uh, our own hearts to see where we really are. And, uh, and that's okay. That's not questioning how like it, but that's okay bad, hard is Tell me one time years ago, a businessman. He says, "You know," he said, "If I always drive the 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 biggest piece of junk the farm has, I never have to fight for it. I never forgot that. So if he always takes the what nobody else wants to drive, I never have to fight for it. You don't have to. It'll always be there when he needs whatever. And I thought, you know what? That's good. Give somebody else the best." Someone else. I really like what he pointed out um, about someone telling a story and you interrupt them or um, finish it for them and trying to take the glory. I find myself doing that. Thank you. Okay. George, do you have a song, verse song, or whatever you choose there? And Caleb, would you want to dismiss us in prayer? Thank you. Let's sing Santa's song. Stand to sing this song.
selfless and point others to you. 